This is Radiant Reflections, the podcast of the Radiant Life Church in Sturgis, Michigan. Our heart for you is that you would live like Jesus and share his love. On this edition of Radiant Reflections, Pastor Josh Harriman, myself, Pastor Josh Brown, are joined by a very special guest, Sam Alberry. Sam Alberry is a pastor, apologist, author, and speaker. He's the author of a number of books, including Is God Anti-Gay? What God Has to Say About Our Bodies? Why Does God Care Who I Sleep With? And Seven Myths About Singleness. You can learn more about Sam at samalberry.com. That's A-L-L-B-E-R-R-Y.com. And without further ado, here's Pastor Josh, myself, JB, and Sam Alberry. Yeah. Right on. Whereabouts are you guys? Remind me where you're based. So we are in Sturgis, Michigan, which is right on the the Michigan-Indiana border. Uh, okay. South Central Michigan. So, yeah. Now you're now. I mean, based on uh, what I saw in your bio, are you are you transplanting now to to the Nashville area uh, permanently? Yeah, trying to. Okay. Yeah, I just need to persuade your government to give me a visa. Okay. <laughs> they can be stingy with such things. <laughs> I know. I think I'm the the wrong gender, the wrong race, the wrong everything to. <laughs> Oh, let me in the no, who knows what their what their criteria is? But move my cut back. Wow, this is like crazy. Where <laughs> <laughs> this is why I'm not in charge of this thing, Sam. So I just I I don't even know where to put my cup. So hey, I have a question. <laughs> I have a question. We were talking about it before, and 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 maybe we're a little stumped. I want to make sure that I don't Americanize your name. Is it Alberry or Albury? Uh, Alberry. Alberry. Okay. All right. Right on. Well, hey, if you're good, uh, we'll 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 dive in and, and get going. Again, we appreciate you taking the time to uh, to yeah. hang out with us. So, are we? Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you've you've written a bunch. You know, you've you've got several books, and uh, you know, one of the things that you you deal with in your books is sexuality. You know, and, and we're on, on our podcast, we're starting a series all about sexuality. Now, I mean, some of this is going to go down the lines of LGBTQ, you know, uh, talking through, you know, uh, the Equality Act, all these different aspects that are, you know, kind of focal points in our culture right now. But I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to pull the lens back a little bit um, and, and first start with a, a big picture view of human sexuality. So, Sam, as you look through Scripture... What do you what do you look at as kind of the big picture view of human sexuality? Yeah, well, the, the first thing to say is there is one um, that the Bible does give us a, a kind of a big picture vision for, for human sexuality, and it's it's really seen most clearly at the very beginning and the very end of the Bible. At the end of the Bible, you have the uh, the marital union of heaven and earth. You have Christ. Um, the bridegroom and, and the church's bride uh, becoming becoming one. And Genesis one and two anticipates that um, the Bible opens with a with a man and a woman getting together, and that becomes a picture of the union of heaven and earth that, that God is going to bring about through Jesus. And human sexuality is is part of that overarching narrative. So human sexuality is ultimately about finding our fullness and our our, our deepest sense of satisfaction in 
knowing the creator who made us. And human marriage is meant to be a, a picture of that ultimate union that we find through Jesus Christ. Yeah. And then that, as, as you tease that out, it begins to then make sense of the very particular shape of marriage that the Bible teaches and some of the um, restrictions around sexual behavior and, and, and so on begin, I think, to make much more sense in the light of that overarching vision. So, I mean, so you can't divorce our sexuality from the gospel, from scripture. It's not just a, well, hey, this is just something that we do. This has nothing to do with, you know, you know, the way we live as, as followers of Jesus. I mean, you're saying those, those two things are inextricably linked. Very much so, yes. I mean, most things are linked in, in, in life because in the Bible, truth is integrated and mm -hmm. things, things connect and cohere. But especially that the issue of sexuality, because it's it's there as a sort of overarching category for how we're to understand the love of God in Christ, um, it really is a very very significant aspect of of our understanding of how we live. Um, it is not remotely incidental. Um, so yes, human sexuality is not this kind of free floating aspect of life that that Christianity has nothing to do with. It is actually at its deepest level, it is about the gospel. It is meant to be about the gospel. So if we start to rearrange our understanding of, of marriage and sexual ethics, we will end up rearranging the gospel that those things are meant to point to. Mm. Now, I mean, what do you what do we say to the individuals who would look at a, a Christian sexual ethic? And this is not, I mean, limited to, you know, LGBTQ. This is, I mean, within heterosexual, you know, relationships. They would look at the Christian sexual ethic and say, Oh man, you guys are this is so restrictive. This is oppressive. You know, this is all all just an artifact of the patriarchy. Uh, you know, in, in restrictive, oppressive, some people even say dangerous, um, you know, th mm -hmm. there are those, and that, that would maybe be more on the LGBTQ side that would say, like, taking this stance is harmful to people. I mean, how do we navigate you know, those conversations with, with individuals that, that would take that, that stance? Yeah, those are, those are really serious questions for us to, to come to terms with and to, to address, and we need to bear in mind those questions are often coming in the context of people experiencing pain and hurt and vulnerability. And so there's, there's a whole lot of things that we need to attend to as we, as we address that. But I think the, the main point I'd want to make is that it's, we've got to know what sex is for to know whether a particular understanding of it is, is harmful and repressive. Um, if sex is merely about self-expression, self-fulfillment and self-gratification, then yes, the Christian sexual ethic is, is deeply repressive and restrictive. Um, but if, if sex has the purpose that, that Scripture gives to it, then actually the biblical sexual ethic is the one in which sex is going to be able to fulfill the purpose that God has for it uh, most healthily, and we're going to be going with the grain of how we've been made rather than against the grain of how we've been made. So the issue is really that we have very dramatically different understandings of what sex is for and therefore what it is and how best to steward human sexuality. Um, and I would want to say that actually I think the sexual ethic we have in, in our secular culture is is actually what is, is damaging and harmful mm. um, and that the, the Christian understanding of these things actually is liberating mm. um, because it... it it then becomes something you can 
appreciate and enjoy in the proper context without having to pin your kind of ultimate sense of meaning and satisfaction and purpose and worth on whether you are feeling sexually fulfilled. So I think the, the view our culture has, broadly speaking, is is incredibly damaging. Mm. So it's I, I, I sort of want to put the question back on the person asking it. Um, I, I think to, to treat sexual fulfillment as the be-all and end-all is incredibly damaging. It raises the, st- the stakes incredibly high. So the gospel actually liberates us from, from that kind of way of thinking. Hmm. I mean, I mean that's, that's very countercultural. I mean, because I mean, again, I mean, they would say, no, like we, we're saying, hey, everyone do what you want to do, you know, be, right. be free, you know, go love who you want to love. And uh, yeah, I mean, so that's a, that's a difficult conversation then to, to bring somebody along the, the lines of, no, actually, <laughs> actually that's, that's damaging people, not, not the, the scriptures stance on things. It is. And there's a lot of nuance we need to have in this conversation. Um, for sure. But uh do what you want to do and go and love who you want to love sounds great, but the Me Too movement is showing us that actually there's a problem with that. Mm-hmm. So then people say, oh, well, it has to be con- consensual. And I, and I kind of say, well, you can't, you can't just throw that in the mix after you've said, right. you know, love who you want to love and do whatever you want, because th- those are very competing ideas. Yeah. Um, so our, there's an incoherence, I think, to our, our culture's sexual ethic at the mm-hmm. moment. And you, you can't, on the one hand, say this is fundamental to who you are and being who you are and fulfilling who you are, and then also say, oh, but, but it's got to be consensual. Um, you know, that's, that's closing the door after the horse has bolted. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there are boundaries that, the, the, that our secular culture wants to put down and to honour and sensible boundaries like consent between adults. But I don't think they have a a coherent rationale for why those constraints really should be there given everything else they're saying about sexual ethics. So it's not that Christians are the ones with boundaries and culture is much freer. Everyone has boundaries somewhere. The question is what is the what is the basis for those boundaries and does that basis make sense? Mm, yeah. No, that, that's good. Yeah, if the inclination of another person is to abuse someone else, and it's because of a, a free choice or you know following whatever they they choose and their own freedoms, um, what about the person who's the victim on the other side of that? And like you're saying, uh, Sam, that that does not point us back to the gospel, um, and that is dangerous and harmful to other people. Absolutely, and I think that one of the foundational texts for this is in, in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, you know, if you look at someone with lustful intent, you've committed adultery in your heart. Yeah. So the, the thing that Jesus is speaking against there is, is turning someone else's sexuality into a commodity, mm-hmm. into something that you consume, um, whether physically or mentally. And he's really saying that that kind of totally inverts God's purpose for, for human sexuality. It's meant to be a form of self-giving within a covenant of marriage rather than a form of taking something from somebody else um, for your own short-term pleasure. And what I find fascinating about that text is, is 
you know, Jesus is, is challenging the person doing the looking. Um, he, he says actually that the significant sexual organ here is your is your mind, mm. um, because it's how you regard someone that is that is the issue here. But he's also saying something very dignifying about the person being looked at, because he's saying they have a sexual dignity and integrity that mustn't be violated, even in, in the privacy of someone else's mind. So he's, he's, on the one hand, very challenging, but on the other hand, I think very dignifying and protective. Mm. Do, you th- do you think that that has something to do uh, with personhood and identifying people as, as creatures made in the image of God? Um, there's a lot to unravel there. Maybe you could unpack that because you're, you're kind of hinting at that, aren't think, you? Yeah, I think it, I think it does. I mean, a, a, an interesting reflection of this is Psalm 51, where, when David is confessing his sin against Bathsheba, he, he says to God against you and you only have I sinned. Mm-hmm. And as we read that initially, we might think, well, that's, that's a slightly audacious thing to say, given there's, Victims. The human wreckage all around you of, yeah. of victims and all the rest of it, murder and and what I, I take must have been sexual abuse of Bathsheba given the, the, the power differential. But there's a sense in which David is right to say against you and you only have I sinned because he's, he's recognizing that the very reason his abuse of Bathsheba is sinful is precisely because Bathsheba has been made in God's image. Mm. Um, to sin against another human being is to is to violate the God in, who, in whose image they are made, mm. and so that 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 again shows us why sexual abuse is so wicked. Um, in in the Christian worldview, it is wicked precisely because we know that every human being has been made in the image of their Creator and is precious to, to their creator and therefore to to damage them is an affront to him. Um, they have worth precisely because they've been made by him. And again, I think our, our culture is, is rightly coming to terms with the seriousness of sexual abuse and, you know, is, is rightly wanting to draw attention to the prevalence of it and to the, the, the kind of long-term harm of it. But without really having a coherent rationale as to why it is so why it is so wicked mm-hmm. yeah well so let's let's bring the fall into the picture then you know in your in your book why does god care who i sleep with i mean you make the case that every human being on earth and and if i'm if i'm misrepresenting you know what you wrote you can correct us but every human being is tainted in their sexuality uh, unpack mm-hmm. that a little bit because i think there might be some people that would say well hey you know i'm not cheating on my wife i'm not looking at porn like leave me alone. Like I'm, I'm good. Yeah. You know, in the in the category of sexuality. So un- unpack. Yeah, and bit. yeah. Well, I, again, I think that that passage in the Sermon on the Mount speaks to that because Jesus says the issue isn't simply what you're doing physically. The issue is mm. what you're doing internally right. in how you look at people and in how you think about people. Jesus talks about the the commandment against adultery really being aimed at the heart as much as it's aimed at the genitals. If I can put it that way. Yeah. Um, he says you've committed adultery in your heart. And what we see going on in the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus treats those commandments is he's showing us the, the goal of those commandments is to expose us. 
is not to give us something against which we can prove ourselves. It is actually a way of showing us this, this stuff is in your heart. Um, we have murderous hearts, we have adulterous hearts, we have covetous hearts and so forth. And therefore, all of us need grace and forgiveness in this area of life. Um, the, the wider teaching of the Bible and the fall shows us that every area of life is, is affected by sin and our desires are disordered. And I think most people recognize at some level that not every single sexual desire they have is, is good. Mm. Um, we should hope so, right? And, well, yeah. I mean, yeah. and the people who don't recognize that tend to be behind bars or in... Oh. in Sociopaths. Uh, That's so, right. Yeah. Yeah. So the, that, that's the sort of thing the Bible is, is trying to alert us to, is that human sexuality is a, is a good thing. It was God's idea, not ours. It's not a, a malfunction of our humanity that we're sexual beings. But that none of us is able to, to properly steward our own sexuality or that of other people's. Um, we will always end up actually demeaning both. Mm-hmm. Now we're, I mean, so we're, we're both pastors. We're, we're two of the pastors here at, at, at our church. Uh, I mean, you're a pastor, you know, sometimes though you see within, within church world, people are hesitant to wade into the conversation about, about sex and sexuality. We're like, ah, like, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to be divisive, you know, speak into that. Like how important is it, you know, from a start with a, a pastoral role, how important is it that we address you know, a biblical sexual ethic, you know, whether it's from the platform or just in, in small groups and conversations with, with uh, church members, like how much weight should we put into that type of conversation? Yeah, it's a, it's a very good question. I know a lot of pastors who, who, who try to sort of duck speaking about this and I can feel that the temptation to do that, um, whatever you say on this issue, you're going to get an email on Monday morning. And <laughs> That's right. We, we, we don't like those getting those emails. And, <laughs> but the fact is that the Bible, the Bible speaks to these things, and it speaks to them in a way that shows us it, it's a serious area of life to consider. Um, the Bible's teaching on this is not a kind of secondary or tertiary issue. It, it's, it's people's eternity are bound up with human sexuality and it's interesting in, in Acts um, chapter 20 as Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders just before leaving them he says that he has taught them the whole counsel of God and therefore he, he basically has a clear conscience hmm. pastors who, who avoid this area are not teaching the whole counsel of God oh wow because it's it's stuff that's there for God's people to, to learn about in in, the, in both testaments of the Bible. So mm-hmm. you can only really avoid addressing this issue by skipping over certain passages as you teach through them in, in the Bible. So, yes, if, if, that's, if that's your settled approach to this issue, I don't think you should be a pastor. Hmm. Yeah. You alluded earlier to the relationship of a biblical sexual ethic with the gospel itself. Um, speak into that a little bit more, because that may also uh, help us and reveal why it's so important for pastors to not gloss over this issue 
and to speak what the Bible says about a biblical sexual ethic. So, yeah, maybe talk about that that gospel connection. Yeah, it's, it's there throughout the scriptures. You know, as, as, as you read through the, the Old Testament, God is not just, you know, the big omni-powerful figure in the sky. He, he keeps referring to himself as, as a husband mm. um, and to his people as a bride. He keeps making yeah. covenant marital promises to them. Uh, Jesus, one of the first things Jesus calls himself in the gospel accounts is the bridegroom. Um, so Jesus is, is casting his own coming and ministry in, in a kind of marital category. And then as we read in the New Testament, we see our relationship to Jesus often spoken of in that kind of category. Paul writes in, in 1 Corinthians 6, that just as, as the man and the wife become one flesh, he says, so we are one spirit with the Lord. Yeah. Um, Ephesians 5 husbands and wives, Paul says, actually, I'm, I'm really talking about Christ and the church. That's what this is ultimately about. So, and as I mentioned earlier, the end of Revelation, you've got the marriage supper mm. of the Lamb and the bride. Yeah. So this is, this is not an incidental connection. It's not, there's this thing called human marriage and the Bible says, oh, uh, yeah, that's, that, that's a bit like God. God can be a bit like that. Really, it's saying there is, a, there is this fundamental marriage, which is God's covenant love for his people and human marriage has been built into our reality as a as a signpost to that as a reflection of that which again is why if you if you alter the the, the shape and direction of the signpost you're going to point people towards a very different destination yeah no that's wow. good that's good so let's let's talk for a minute then about you know you know you say hey pastors if you're not willing to wade into the conversation Eh, you know, maybe you shouldn't be a pastor. What about pastors who would be on the side of affirming sexual behaviors that go against Scripture? I mean, you you make a pretty bold statement in uh, in your book, "Is God Anti-Gay?" Uh, that you know that Paul is very clear about about same-sex conduct, and to to teach other than what Paul lays out is to. I'm trying to remember exactly how you worded it, but I mean, you're basically leading people to. To hell, kind of thing. I mean, if that and that's if that's too strong, if that's not what you were getting at, again, uh, correct me here. That's when I read it, I was like, whoa, that's that's really strong. I mean, so speak into that a little bit for in, in whether it's whether yeah. it's same sex conduct or you know, I've seen books uh, coming out from a from a quote unquote Christian perspective saying, oh, hey, you know what, polyamory, that's cool. You know, it's and I'm like, really. Like really, it is, but I mean, I, <laughs> yeah. I I don't think so. So how do you, how do you address those those conversations then as as well with with pastors that they talk about it, but they come out on a on a very different uh, side of things. Yeah, I'm I'm very very troubled by that. Um, Paul's language is as strong as it gets in First Corinthians six that that those who do not repent, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he lists as examples of that. People who are sexually immoral in, in general, he, he mentions adultery and he mentions same-sex behavior as instances of unrepentant behavior that will exclude people from the kingdom of God. Hmm. Um, so it, it's harder to be stronger than Paul already is there. He's saying hmm. this is a salvation issue. Not that if you fail to be sexually pure, you know, that's 
that's it. But the issue is, if you if you're not repentant, um, then actually you will you will never be able to go to heaven. Um, and he gives great hope there because he, he also says that you know such were some of you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and God loves saving the adulterous, yeah. those who are sexually sinful, and and all the rest of it, but we do need saving from it. And therefore, to to tell people that, that God is fine with that or even that God can bless that is is to send them to hell. Mm. Um, and, it, you know, it's... it's we, we've got to be clear, again, Jesus, Jesus is non-affirming of the sexuality of all of us. Um, all of us are fallen in our sexuality and whether you're attracted to men or women or both or neither, you are fallen in your sexuality and need the help of Christ for it. And that's why he came. He came to, to be good news for people who are sexually broken and fallen. But uh, to, to say that actually repentance is not needed in this area of life is effectively to say well, sin has come into the world and touched every area of life, except human sexuality. That bit somehow is miraculously <laughs> untouched right. by sin. Right. And to be saying that at the very moment when the prevailing cultural voices are saying that you have to affirm everyone's sexuality. So it's, it's hard to conclude that such teachers are being led by the word of God rather than by, by culture. Thanks for listening to Radiant Reflections, the podcast of the Radiant Life Church in Sturgis, Michigan. We hope today's edition of Radiant Reflections has helped you live like Jesus and share his love with your family, friends, and neighbors. To learn more about the church family this podcast originates from, check out theradiantlife.church. That's theradiantlife.church. Maybe you have some questions after listening today. We'd love to hear from you. Send an email to podcast at theradiantlife.church. That's podcast at theradiantlife.church. Don't forget to subscribe to the Radiant Reflections podcast. When you subscribe, you'll always have the latest content delivered right to your phone from the Radiant Life Church. We'd also be grateful if you could rate and review Radiant Reflections. Every time we receive a five-star review, more people learn about this podcast. We also want to encourage you to share this podcast on social media and with your friends and family. Join us next time for another edition of Radiant Reflections.